All right, all right. Bring it in, bring it in. Love the conversation. Love that. Uh, I know it's only five minutes, but uh, it's just a really big deal. Again, we've said this multiple times. If all you do is come and just listen to preaching, uh, but don't actually invest in lives and, and make friends, then the power of the gospel is, is going to be a little less effective in your life. Because God calls us to live in community where we're known and we, we do life together. We do the one another's of Scripture. And we just can't do that unless we, we have friends with the people that we worship with. So please continue to use that time. I know it's only five minutes. That's why we have the cafe time. It starts at 930. You've got coffee, donuts. Come meet people. Make friends. Make friends with other people that love Jesus. You will not regret it. You won't regret it. We are in the last message of our summer series, the Summer in the Psalms. Hopefully, as we've kind of plugged away through the Psalms, that you've been encouraged as you've seen the, the depths of emotions covered throughout these Psalms. Hopefully, you've been encouraged to learn that God is not offended by all of our feels, right? All of the emotions that we have, He's not offended, He's not taken off guard by them, He's not surprised by them. Uh, he, he actually has given us a book all about the depths and, and hot hills and, and valleys of life. And hopefully we've learned how to deal with our emotions, the emotions of life, in a way that honors him. Now, I realize we've spent a lot of time talking about how to deal with our emotions. And as a general rule, it's really never that great to just focus so much on ourselves. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on him. And so what I want to do this morning, and hopefully as we've worked through the songs, you've seen that, that theme, that that's been a major theme. Yeah, we've talked about some emotions, but the common thread through all of the emotions that we've looked at is that everyone fixed their eyes on King Jesus, on the Lord God Almighty. And so what I want to do this morning is conclude not by focusing on our emotions. I simply want to ask the question, how does God feel about us? How does God feel about us. Again, you see, if we lose sight of God, it doesn't matter what, our cop- what, what coping strategies we learn. It doesn't matter how great we master psychotherapies and all of this stuff that are not necessarily bad things, but if we, if we lose sight of the Lord, it doesn't matter what we know or how skillful we are at coping. If we lose sight of our Creator, we will be lost. We'll be lost. Again, I hope you've seen that theme that as people have dealt with the emotions of life in the Psalms, the constant theme is to look to God, to look to God. I shared this song with you. I played it again this morning in the, in the five-minute breakout period, a song that's called That's the Thing About Praise by Benjamin Hastings. In it, if you were listening, and if not, put it on your, your Spotify or whatever music thing you use, wherever, pull it up. That's the thing about praise, Benjamin Hastings. In it, if you listen to it, You'll hear the lyrics, part of uh, one of the verses says, I don't, it don't always fix your problems, but it'll tell you how small they are. That's the thing about praise, he sings. He says, it won't always move the mountains, but it's good for the heart. That's the thing about praise. And then the, go- the chorus says, sometimes the only way through it is a hallelujah. That's what this song is saying. It's saying that praise and focusing in on God, acknowledging who He is, is the medicine that we, cor- we take to correct our feelings. It's the medicine we take to correct our feelings. You see, when we choose to look for and look to the God of the Bible, 
we will be enabled to live with peace. Peace is a sense that everything's going to be okay. It doesn't matter what's going on. When I look to God, He fills me with peace. A sense that He's got me. He's got this. Everything's going to be okay. And when we're going through the valleys of life or the highs of life, again, when we look to our Creator God, not only are we filled with peace, a sense that everything's going to be okay, we're also filled with joy. That's a relational word that tells us the God of heaven is glad to be with me. No matter what I've done, no matter what I've gone through. He fills me with joy and with peace. Church, if you take nothing else from this series, I want you to take this. When the feelings of life overwhelm you, look to God, look for God. Look to God, look for God. See, when we look to God, here's what we're going to see. We're going to unpack this from Psalm 139 this morning. When we learn to look to God and look for God, we are going to see an all-knowing, all-powerful Father who cares tremendously and tenderly for you and I. And when you and I learn to recognize and receive the care of the Father, then you and I are going to begin to care like the Father. Let me say that again. When we look to God with praise, we will see an all-knowing and all-powerful Father who cares so tenderly for us. And when we learn to recognize and receive His care, we will begin to care like he does. And so that's what I want to do with you this morning. I want to lift our eyes corporately beyond the hills, as the psalmist says. I want to lift your eyes beyond the hills, above the hills. I want you to look with me at our Father in heaven, the Lord God Almighty. And as we do, I hope that you will receive and recognize his care, that you will begin to praise him. And as you receive and recognize his care, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will make us care just a little bit more like he cares for us. So with that said, let's open our Bibles. If you don't have them, we have them in front of you. The black Bibles, get it on your phone, get it out, whatever. Get it in front of you. The Word of God. We'll read a little bit together and then I'll talk about it. Psalm 139, starting right there at the beginning from the NIV. It says this. For the director of music, Psalm of David... You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty. For me to attain. We'll break right there for a minute. As we look to God here in verses 1 through 6, what do you see? I think we see a God who knows. We see a God who is all-knowing. He knows everything. More importantly, He knows you. He knows every single move that you and I make. I know some of you are going to hate this. I'm not sorry. I want everybody to stand up. Everybody stand up. Come on, stand up. Except for Joy. She just had knee surgery. God knows that you're standing. All right, now everybody sit down. (laughs) 
God knows. He knows. He knows that you were standing. He knows now that you're sitting. He knows if you move a finger just one little millimeter. Everybody move, move a finger just one little millimeter. Just hold it right there. He knows. He knows precisely where your finger is right now. The fact that you moved it. Just a skosh. He knows, church. He knows precisely. He knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. For most of us, that's a really big deal. For Wes, not so much, right? But the rest of us, he knows. He knows how many hairs are on your head. God is familiar with you. Familiar, the psalm says. He knows your thoughts. He knows that some of you, when I asked you to move a finger, you thought about moving a certain finger in my direction because I made you stand up and then I made you sit down. He knows you thought about that. For others of you, he knows what you're thinking now. Can he say that from the pulpit, right? He knows. I probably shouldn't have. God knows your thoughts, church. He knows that some of you right now are planning your nap. Thinking about if Scotty Scheffler is going to bring it and win the PGA Tour here in the next couple hours, right? He knows what you're thinking right now in this moment. Before you even speak, God knows. He knows. He knows not just what you do do. He knows what you could do and what you will do in every possible situation and scenario. He knows. He knows all. For some of us, that's wonderful news. God cares. He knows me. For most of the rest of us, that's a little more than fear-inducing, isn't it? Why? Well, first of all, because we live in a modern era with technology, and we've seen what people are able to know and do with what they know about us, right? There are some technological corporations out there, some governments that know a lot about you and me. I kid you not. A day or so after Rachel and I found out that we were pregnant with our fourth child, this is pretty early on, we started getting advertisements for baby diapers and all sort of the baby thing on both of our phones. People in our world know a lot about us. And what they know, they use to commoditize us, to sell things at us. They use it for selfish gain. And so when we've experienced this level of intimate knowledge from people, it hasn't been really that great. And so that fills us with a little bit of fear. But then beyond that, most of us, if we're honest, when we learn that God is all-knowing, fear is a common response because there are many things in our lives that we don't want anyone to know let alone the creator of the universe, an all-powerful, perfectly righteous being. But let me encourage you this morning from this psalm. As we continue to gaze upon God, we should not fear. Why? Because God's knowing is not vengeful. It is not judgmental. His knowing is not distant or indifferent. His knowing is not corrupt. He's not going to use you or try and sell stuff to you or sell you. No. God's knowing is personal, church. 
You are not a number or a commodity for him to use. His knowledge of you is personal, and better yet, his knowledge of you is protective and corrective. Look with me at verse 5. The psalmist writes, You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Folks, as I read that verse, I couldn't help but think about my position as a father. There are really only two occasions where I lay hands on my children. Really, if you boil it down. One, when I want, to, want them to experience my care and protection and comfort. And the other, when they need to experience some correction in their life. I don't know my kids the way God does, but I try to know and care for them in a similar way to how he knows and cares for us. I try to know their comings and goings, and I'm near enough to them to protect them and correct them. That is the kind of care and knowledge that the Father has for each and every one of us. He is all-knowing, and his knowing is not something that we need to fear because his heart is to protect and to correct his children. God is all-knowing. God is also all-powerful. His power, too, as we will read, it is personal. It is relentlessly pursuing, again, with an aim to protect and correct. Look with me at verses 7 through 18. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hem me or will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grain of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The Lord God is all-knowing. The Lord God is also all-powerful. And we've seen power in its various forms, haven't we? We've seen it on the big screen, in superhero movies. I'm not proud of this. There were more than a few late nights in my college dorm room where we spent discussing which was the most powerful superhero. <laughs> yeah, not, not proud of it, but I'll admit it. Pretty nerdy. I will still go to bat for the Hulk, by the way. Maybe Wolverine with his ability to heal, right? Of course, Superman is always a part of the discussion. X-ray vision, flight, freeze breath, laser eyes. Bulletproof, super speed. We've seen what power looks like on the big screen in the form of superpowers, haven't we? Yeah, 
strength, speed, flight, Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne, super smarts, build gadgets and gizmos. We've seen what power looks like in the movies. We've also seen what power looks like politically. We've seen charisma from leaders. The ability to turn a phrase, to give a speech, to move a crowd, to enlist a voting block. We've also seen what power looks like in industry. Technological advancements. Guys like Elon Musk inventing crazy things, pushing us forward technologically in hopes to make a better, more prosperous world for everyone. We've seen power in all its shapes and forms. But church, can we just all admit that we've never seen anything like the power of our God? Every facet of power that we've seen reflected in movies and in life is just that. It's a reflection. And a dim one at that, compared to its source, the God of the universe. God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. You say, how powerful is he? The psalmist tells us he knits bodies together. He knits bodies together. Bodies. Church, there is no more complex organism, machine in the universe than the human body. It is wildly complex. I'll never forget, I listened to a sermon, I don't know who it was from when I was in high school, talked about as a fetus forms in its mother's womb, cells magically appear over their eyelids. Because when your eyes form, the flap of skin that is your eyelids is over them. Cells magically appear. They're called cutter cells. They cut the flesh so that your eyelids open and your eyes can see. And that is their only job. I could tell you a hundred thousand different things of how insanely complex the human body is. God knits bodies together from nothing. From nothing. Church, we know surgeons, right? Any surgeons in here today? I didn't think so. You've seen them before, right? We know surgeons. What is their job? Mostly to knit bodies back together, right? They stitch, they sew, they cut, they cauterize, they dissect. We've known surgeons to do that. Have you ever seen a surgeon perform multiple surgeries at once? I haven't. There are multiple women in here right now who are with child. God is going to work simultaneously on those little babies, knitting each and every one of them together precisely as he sees fit. In church, he's not just putting a bag of meat together. It's true. He is knitting all of the biology and the physicality and, and all of those things, all of the physical stuff. He's doing all of that, yes. But along with that, as he's knitting bodies, he is crafting souls and spirits that will inhabit those bodies and become one union, like he is one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are one body, soul, and spirit that exist as a being. And more than that, we're told that as he's knitting you together, he is ordaining the days of your life. Before any of us are born, before we are even a twinkle in the eyes of our parents, and all the kids in here say, gross. 
Before you even a twinkle in the eye of your parents, God knew you. He knows who you will be and how many days you will have on this earth because he made you. Whether you know him or not, whether you love him or not, he made you and he knows you and he loves you. Church, this is power. God creates from nothing. And again, his power is not wicked or selfish. It's tender. It is personal. It is protective. And it is corrective. See, how do you know that? Look back at the text. Were you to count the thoughts that God has of you, just you, the psalmist says, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. When God thinks about you, his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Just about you. Folks, that is incomprehensible to me. I have a lot of thoughts about people that are close to me. But if I'm honest with you this morning, most of my thoughts just circle around myself. Who am I? If I did this good or bad? Whether people are not see me and appreciate me, why they don't appreciate me the way I think they should appreciate me. Maybe I could say that my thoughts about me number a small beach at a pond in Henry County, grains of sand, right? That's certainly not something to brag about. I think a lot about myself. That's not typically something that, that we want to admit, right? Something I'm, I'm ashamed of. I'm prideful. I'm selfish. Those are most of my thoughts. But God, in all his power, in all his knowing, he has thoughts of others. He thinks of others. He thinks of you and me. And we're told that the number of thoughts that he has for us outnumber the grains of the sand on the earth. And more than that, his thoughts, unlike my thoughts, are good pure and righteous, not selfish. He wants your best. Again, if I were to share the numerous thoughts in my head, most of them would be prideful thoughts about myself or sinful thoughts of judgment towards other people. Me rehashing, giving so-and-so the business for doing this or that. Those are my thoughts. See, not many of my thoughts are pure, good, and righteous or others-focused, but our God... Our creator God, his thoughts are. He knows you. He knows you completely, better than you know yourself. And he thinks about you so much that the thoughts he has about you outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Just, Holy Spirit, let that hit us this morning. Do you see how how looking to God can reorient our feelings. We need a picture of him to cope with what we're dealing with in this life. And I hope, I hope as we've been contemplating the power and knowledge of the Lord God Almighty this morning, I hope you're coming to understand David's seemingly abrupt twist here that we're going to read in Psalm 19. If you read ahead, you might be thinking, what in the world is happening? It's abrupt. He starts lashing out at wickedness and evil. What is going on? You were just talking about how great and grand God is. How wonderful and it's too amazing for me to consider. And holy smokes, Lord. 
And then you shift to calling out evil. What is happening? Here it is, church. When you recognize and receive the all-knowing, all-powerful, tender care of God, you will begin to care like Him. Verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. How could anyone speak evil of this God? Your adversaries, they misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. See, David looks up into the marvelous light of Lord God Almighty with wonder. And as he brings his gaze back down to earth, the zeal of God, after he's recognized and received the tender care of his God, his zeal for God makes David care tremendously for the things that are not as they should be in God's created world. Here, We see what we talked about in Romans a couple months or weeks back. Here we see David is hating what is evil because he is clinging to the good, capital G. Church, this is how you tell fake Christians from real Christians. If you know and recognize and receive the tender care of the Father, you will hate what is evil. You will. There is much in our world today that is being called good and celebrated as good by fake Christians, by false churches, by our culture that is evil. There is grace for what I'm about to talk about. But Church, we need, to, we need to call sin what is sin so that we can be saved from it. We don't celebrate it. The murder of children has been reframed as a woman's right to choose an elective procedure to terminate an embryo. This right to choose the death of an innocent and defenseless human being created and knit together by our Maker is being celebrated as human progress and a great good. This is indefensible in every single way, church. Killing children is evil. Always. Period. Full stop. In the womb, out of the womb. It's evil. I know, I'm sure, in a crowd this big, there are some... some folks who have been participants in this. Jesus knows. He loves you. He forgives you. There's healing. But we can't celebrate. It's evil. Along with this, there are laws being promoted and passed to allow surgeons the ability not to knit people back together, but to mutilate and dismember people, even children, church. It's being called an elective sex change operation. Many in this world are celebrating it as good and human progress. Do you know what the God of the Bible calls it? Evil. 
It's genital mutilation, and it's evil, church. It's perverting and corrupting and undoing what God did. It's being celebrated as good, but it's not. It's destroying lives. Do you know what the suicide rate is for men and with women that undergo sex change operations? In five years after the operation, 85%. Does that sound to you like it is coming from the author of life or the author of death? It's evil. We should not celebrate these things. We should be a welcoming environment for people who don't know who they are and tell them, let me tell you who you are. Let me give you an identity. You are created fearfully and wonderfully as a man or woman in the image of an all-powerful God who loves you and wants you to live up into your full potential. Do not listen to this world. The author of death is telling you lies. Let me tell you the truth in love. Please do not buy what they're selling. Come and receive what the author, has, the author of life has purchased for you by his blood. Amen. Marriage as well, church. God's ordained institution to raise and rear children into model citizens of God-fearing men and women. Marriage in the nuclear family is also under attack by the enemy of this world. Again, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers, principalities, and rulers, the spirits of the air, demons, that are driving this agenda. Trying to tear apart the family. To tear down the institution of evil. To redefine it. Or the institution of marriage. To redefine it. This too is evil. Sinful and wrong. The nuclear family as God designed it, is between one man and one woman for life. It's being torn asunder in the name of freedom, of free sex. Sex outside the confines of marriage. Heterosexual, homosexual, doesn't matter. Outside the confines of biblical marriage. Those of you who have been with me long enough will recognize this illustration. Sex is like marriage, church. Sorry. Sex is like fire. It's like fire. Within the fireplace of marriage, it's beautiful. It gives off warmth to your house. It helps men and women, husbands and wives, come together. It's a glue that that helps things. You take sex outside of the fireplace. It's a fire that will burn your house down. Church, any so-called Christian that opposes God's good designs, supports the things that culture calls as good and calls human progression, any so-called Christian that stands for these things or stands against organizations that are teaching God's good designs to anyone, including little children, like LifeWise, if you stand for this evil... If you stand against organizations that support God's good, you seriously need to question whether or not you know the God of the Bible. You say, why? Because when you recognize and receive the Father's tender care, you will begin to care like He cares. You say, how does He care? 
hopefully you hear my tone. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not being condemning. But I want you to see the love of the Father here this morning. If you're convicted, that's okay. If you're offended, that's okay. We need to hear this. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be truthful. When Jesus came to the city, when he looked out over the city and all of its wickedness and evil and corruption, what was his response? Thankfully, it wasn't like his disciples. Hey, we should call some fire down from heaven. Jesus, no. Luke 19, 41. And when he drew near to Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Why? Not because of all of their sin and evil, but because they couldn't see him. They couldn't see him. He came to the city in all his filthiness and evil and wickedness, and they couldn't see God. And so he wept over them. He said, I long to gather you like a hen under my wings to protect and to correct you. Come here, loved ones. Do not persist in your evilness. Come here. And he weeps for us. And yet still, you might be thinking in your heart, I hope that you're not, but you might be. And pastor, you've pointed a lot of fingers this morning. You sanctimonious preacher. How dare you? What about you? You're a hypocrite. Let me tell you about me, church. I don't have it all together. Not a perfect husband just this week over some dishes. It's usually what it is in marriage. I said some things out of a place of selfishness and a desire to be served rather than serve my wife that were sinful that I needed to ask forgiveness for. I'm not a perfect husband. Far from it. I'm not a perfect dad either. This one hits home. I yell too much at my kids in anger. I lack a whole lot of patience most days. I'm not perfect. And when I look to the God of heaven who cares for me, I know that truth all the more. Which is why, as David looks out at the evil on the world... Before he pronounces condemnation completely, he lumps himself in. And as he looks out at the evil on the world, before he closes his prayer and contemplation of God, he invites the God of heaven to look within at the evil that exists in there. Not to celebrate it. To receive freedom from it. To receive forgiveness from it. He says... Can we go to the next slide? Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Church, I'm not perfect. None of us in here are. And if we're in Jesus, we shouldn't claim to be. 
But that doesn't mean we have to roll over and pretend like there is no good and no evil. Just because sometimes we do evil and have evil within us, that doesn't mean that we have no right to call it out when we see it. Certainly to repent of it when it's our own. See, church, a Christian is not perfect, but a Christian cares like Jesus. Because when we see and recognize the care of the Father, we will care like Him. We see and recognize our sin for what it is, evil, wickedness, from, what, from which we need saving and cleansing. It's not something we should ever celebrate. We've talked a lot about our feelings this summer. Hopefully you're encouraged by God's this morning. He knows you. Better than you know yourself. He's all-knowing. And his knowledge is not something he's going to use over you. No. It's something he's committed to using for your protection and your correction. He's all-knowing. He's also all-powerful. His power, too, is personal, pursuing protective, and corrective. He loves you, church. And never was his love more clearly displayed than on the cross when he sent his one and only son to die in your place. And upon the cross, his thoughts of you outnumbered the grains of sand on this earth. And so we know that we can say this, that when Christ spoke these words from the cross, you and all of those thoughts were in his mind. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. May we see the Lord God Almighty. And as we experience the wonder of his care, may we begin to care like he does. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, lift the veil from our eyes this morning and let us glimpse a little bit more of your glory together. Help us not get caught up in thinking about things below. Help us to think on things above, Lord. Help us to think on you, to look for you, to look to you. To think on what is noble and good and true. Help us praise you and you alone for your wonderful deeds, for your beautiful works, for your good design. Let us not be swept up into this evil age that celebrates evil and condemns good. Let us this morning recognize the care you have for us. Let us receive the care you have for us through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And as we do, Lord, make us more like you. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us care for those afflicted by evil in our world who do not know what they are doing. Keep us humble, Lord be ever searching our own hearts, ever exposing our own wickedness and offenses so that we too would never lose sight of the reality that we are just as sick 
and we too are just as in need of a Savior. Thank you, Lord, for loving us.